The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. I hope your summer's kicking off great. We're excited that we have the students, the uh, middle school and high school students back. They had an incredible week uh, at camp this week, and I know the Lord's uh, I've already received reports of many wonderful things that God has done in their lives. And so thank you, church, for praying for our students. And I look forward to you hearing uh, more about just what, what God's done in their lives. Uh, have you ever been in a place where you know for certain that God has told you to do something and you just aren't going to do it? I know none of you can relate, but uh, if you uh, have ever been in that boat, then you know, no pun intended, we're, we're on Jonah today. But if you've ever been in that boat where you know, it's not one of those things where you're like, I don't know, I don't know if God's told me to do it or not, but you know, maybe it was just in the scriptures, black and white text that said, do this or don't do that. Well, that's the way God speaks most clearly to us in his scriptures. But other times, the combination of knowing God's will and his word in in more general terms, but then as you prayerfully discern God's wisdom or God's leadership in your life in particular, you become convinced that God wants this for your life and you don't like it. And so you resist. Maybe he's told you to share the, the gospel with somebody. Maybe he's asked you to lead a Bible study with someone. Maybe he's asked you to just invite someone to coffee in hopes of developing a relationship with them that you can uh, just love them well and help them know the love of Christ. And for whatever reason, you just find in your heart, you resist. You just don't really want to do it. Has anyone ever been in that boat before? Raise your hand if you have. Okay, the rest of you, the sermon doesn't apply. You can go home. I think we can all say we've been in that boat before, and today that's what we see happens to Jonah. Jonah is called to go to Mosul, Iraq, and to share the gospel. If you were called to go to Mosul, Iraq, to share the gospel, what might arise in your heart? Well, there you that's a great answer, Robert. I was just about to start praying. I'm glad you got it in there right before I said that. I was like, Lord, what? You're going to die? Oh, bless this man, Lord. But that's exactly right. Fear, intimidation, maybe prejudice, maybe anger, resentment. But we find Jonah in a place where he says, I don't want to do what God's telling me to do. Maybe it's not going to be Mosul, Iraq for you. But I think we all can relate. There are times in our life where we know for certain we are resisting the will of God. And now, Robert, I'm going to pray and ask the Lord to be with us this morning. Lord, thank you for this wonderful church. I love them so much. And I thank you for this time to study your word where we will be confronted with Jonah's life. And I pray, Lord, that this study of Jonah's life that you've preserved for us in scriptures will do a great blessing in our lives, that your spirit will take your sacred writings, your scriptures, and will change our hearts and reveal to us areas of resistance, areas of self-centeredness and entitlement that are keeping us from freely sharing your grace and compassion with others. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, so let's walk with Jonah. Let's see what happens to Jonah. I'm going to go fast. Got the whole book of Jonah to get through. So first we see Jonah's descent. 
Jonah's descent. This is where Jonah resists God's will. And as a result, he goes down, 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 down. And that's what happens when we resist God's word. Verse 1 of chapter 1 of Jonah. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Let's pause there for a minute. Now remember last week we learned that the Lord's books, he opens the books and records the deeds of our life. Here we see the Lord is paying careful attention. He knows the wicked deeds that are going on in this city, Nineveh. This city was known for its extraordinary brutality and cruelty. The rulers of Nineveh would take their enemies and literally peel their lips off literally rip their hands off their bodies, skin them alive, and see how high the mound of human skulls they could collect. This was a wicked city, according to what we hear going on in the word and also what we see in records. God called Jonah, Jonah, God called Jonah to go to Nineveh to cry out against them. And Jonah says, I don't want to go. Look what he does in verse 3. Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. Tarshish is the exact opposite direction. None of us this way, Tarshish is that way. But notice what it says. Jonah wasn't just running from Tarshish. What does it say he's doing? He flees to Tarshish from what? The presence of the Lord. You see, this is what happens. When we resist the will of God, we find ourselves pitting ourselves against God and we want to flee the presence of God. We don't want to hear what he has to say. We don't want to know what he has to say. We just want to get away from the presence of the Lord. Now, when it says he's running from the presence of the Lord, he doesn't think that God lives in a geographic territory and he's leaving the geography. No, he is just like us. What is he doing? He's numbing himself with busyness. He's trying to change of scenery. Maybe that will make God forget. He's putting noise in his life because he doesn't want to hear it. Anything but be in the presence of God because I know that if I'm in the presence of God, I know what he's going to say. And I don't want to hear it. Jonah was in outright rebellion against doing what God was telling Jonah to do. He just wants to ignore the will. He wants to drown out the voice of God. He wants to busy himself with other things. He wants to pursue other pleasures. He wants to do anything but be in the presence of God and listen to what he has to say to him. Have you ever been, are you in that place right now? Jonah's decision to disobey God and to run begins this terrible downward spiral. He, it begins his descent. You'll see all throughout the narrative, down, 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 down. Verse 3, he went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and he went down into the ship to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. There's only one place to go when you leave the Lord's presence, and it's down. Now, everything in Jonah, he's not saying, hey, 
I'm going to take a trip to the bottom of the sea. I'm going to throw myself in a terrible storm where that's not what he's thinking, is it? He's thinking greener pastures. There's a better way. He's thinking if I go where God wants me to go, I'm not going to like it. It's not going to be good. I'm not going to be happy. I'm not going to have joy. Let me go somewhere else. And the Bible tells us over and over and over, it doesn't work. The only direction you go when you go away from the Lord is down. And that's what we see happening to Jonah, down to Joppa, down the ship. This weekend, I was talking with someone just after I had finished this sermon, and they started sharing with me, unsolicited by me, just exactly what we see going in Jonah's life. And he said about a time many, many decades ago in his life, how he said, I had to hit bottom. That's where we get that phrase. I have to hit bottom. People have to, we say, people have to hit bottom before they finally get better. That's not true. You don't have to hit bottom. But what does that phrase mean is that we realize there's a downward spiral, but nobody thinks that that downward spiral is their destination. It starts very subtly. In his situation, it was with a serious drinking problem. First made his his first introduction to drinking in college, but when he got out of college, he realized, okay, I'm out of that life, and now I'm going to do a pretty version of it. I'm going to drink with professionals at happy hour. And so he drank with professionals at happy hour that he wanted to network with, he said. He said, but then it led to more than just one night a week, multiple nights a week. And then it, it led to not just at five o'clock happy hour, but let's go ahead and go a little early at three o'clock. But it was with professionals. And it was, it was something he knew. He was drowning out things. He was resisting God. He was running from the Lord. And he didn't see the cost that it was costing him until so much was gone. He saw his wife and his kids he lost. He saw his career ultimately start to pay the price until it was down, down, down. When he said, I looked around and I realized this has cost me everything. That's what's going on in Jonah's life. That's what I I pray that Jonah's life shows us is the lie is that it's a better way. God's way is this way, but there's a better way. It'll make you happier than what God wants. But nobody tells us you're going to end up in the bottom of the ocean in the belly of a whale. And that's what we're going to see happening happening. In the downward spiral of Jonah, he went down to Joppa, down into the ship. There's only one place to go when you leave God, and it's down. And when we walk away from God, and we find ourselves much like we see Jonah, he's in a literal storm, which is a great picture of the storms of life that we walk into when we're walking away from God. Verse 4, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up and then the mariners were afraid each cried out to its own god and they hurled the cargo in desperation that was in the ship into the sea in order to lighten it for them but jonah where's jonah he's gone down 
into the inner part of the ship. And he's laying down. And he was fast asleep or passed out. This is no relaxation sleep. This is a picture of a man who has given up. He is devastated. He's in despair. Perhaps it's because he's been on the run and he's distraught. He's he's probably been sick from this storm toss, tossing the boat, and he is spent, and he's just at his bottom. He is at the bottom of the ship, passed out. A picture of death. This is not what he thought he was going to get when he said, I don't think so, Lord. I'm going to go this way, even though you said go this way. Look what happens next. This is what God does with the storms of life. So verse 6 says, so the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Look at the irony here. A pagan sailor is telling a supposed man of God, a prophet of God, who's on the run from God, he comes to him and he says, call out to your God. And perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Call out to God, maybe he'll have compassion. Maybe he will rescue us. This is a picture of God's grace in our life. This is what happens. God wants to use the storms of life to bring us back to himself, to restore us to fellowship with him. God uses the trials that that we experience in life to say, hey, call out to me. Call out to me. I'll be there for you. These verses are so powerful. They remind us that of God's intimate concern for our lives. He's not some distant, far-removed God. He is intimately concerned with your life. Are you running from God? Have you resisted God? Are you rebelling from God? And you feel like he's miles away? He's distant? He's not. We saw last week, he's watching every move with love and compassion, and he pursues you. Like we see him pursuing Jonah. Jonah's running. He's pursuing him. Jonah's at the bottom. He's hit rock bottom. And the Lord is working. Even through the storms that Jonah has brought upon himself. God uses this to say, cry out to me. Cry out to me. Uses the pagan sailor. Cry out to me. Come back to me. This is what God does in our life. Even as we are running from him in rebellion. So we see he is intimately concerned with our lives. We also see God is sovereign. He's the master and, and the one who controls the seas. With, the, with just a word, he says, the storms will come. This is not a coincidence. This is not a, an accident. This is not karma. This is the all-powerful God involved in Jonah's life. And it's the same for you as well. We can't escape the plans of God. We also see in this God's determination to draw us to himself. He is determined not to let us stay at the bottom of the ship. We see the futility of running from God's will. It just doesn't work. I've tried. It doesn't work. 
And so the pagan sailors look around and they say to one another, come, let us cast lots. This was an old form of trying to discern uh, how to move forward. They would paint on rocks. And, and they, it was kind of like you, if you ever played with a silly, crazy eight ball, you ever seen that where you shake it and then a little answer pops up? It's kind of like that. They would paint and they would say, is Jonah the reason we're having these problems? And they'd throw the rocks. And if the same colors popped up, it was, the answer was yes. The strange thing is, it says even the Lord controls the casting of the lots. And so in this, we see the lots fell on Jonah. Verse 8, then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What in the world is going on? Tell us, who are you? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And the first words of Jonah in the story of Jonah are this. I am a Hebrew. This is a reminder of his identity. I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men were exceedingly afraid. And they said to him, what is this you have done? And that's the question Jonah wants us to ask this morning. What are you doing running from Yahweh? Yahweh, the God that we met in Genesis, the God who spoke the seas into existence, the God who controlled the seas and parted them for Moses and his people to cross, the God who controls the seas to say, Jonah, quit running from me. What is this you have done in your choice to run and resist God's will in your life. For the men knew he was fleeing from the presence of Yahweh. Then they said to him, well, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And apparently Jonah was resigned to his fate and he says to them, just hurl me into the sea and it'll quiet down for you. For I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, these pagan men who don't even worship the one true God show compassion and mercy towards Jonah. And instead of throwing him in immediately, they start rowing trying to get back to land. Maybe we don't have to throw them into the sea, but they couldn't for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to Yahweh. The pagan sailors are now crying out to God. Be merciful to us, O God. Let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So much irony here. Jonah, God's prophet, running from God, refusing to call to God, refusing to seek God's mercy. And yet the pagan sailors are crying out to him, oh Lord, be merciful to us. And so they pick up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. And then the men feared Yahweh exceedingly and they worshiped, they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So in his rebellion, Jonah is heading to the bottom, literally. 
to the bottom of the sea. He's in the sea, sinking, dying as he resists the Lord. Are you resisting the Lord today? I don't mean the confusion, is this God's will or not? I mean, you know God's will. And the question is, are you resisting? There's only one way to go from God, and that's down. Down, 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 down. Can you see the cost? Can you, can you just stop for a moment and quit kidding yourself and count the cost? You don't have to wait till you're at the bottom. The grace in the word of God is it holds a mirror to us and say, fix it now. Make the adjustments that you see in the mirror. Make the adjustments now. Don't keep going down the death spiral. Has it cost you your joy? Has it cost you peace? Has it cost you your spouse? Has it cost your family, your children? Has it cost your business, your reputation? What else is it gonna have to cost before you realize it's not worth it? The storms wrapping around your head can cease in a moment of repentance. A pastor friend and I are reading a book called The Preacher's Catechism and it's just taking catechisms which are question and answers and applying them to the preacher and it says, how do we enjoy God? It asks the preacher. We enjoy God, the answer is, we enjoy God as we submit our hearts to all that he tells us. Follower of Christ, how do you enjoy God? You enjoy God as you submit your heart to all that he tells you. To the extent that you resist any part of what the Lord tells you, you sacrifice enjoyment of God. Don't believe the lie that says there's a better way. Isaiah 12, 3 says, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. With every yes to the Lord's word, with every yes to the Lord's call, with every yes to the Lord's command, with every obedient step, you are drawing joyfully from the well of salvation. Don't resist God's will for your life. It is the best most joyful, most enjoyable path of life. So Jonah is on a descent to the bottom of the sea as he resists God. Next, we see Jonah's rescue. Jonah's descent now in verses 17 through following, we see Jonah's rescue. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And then Jonah prayed, not only until then, but then Jonah prayed to the Lord, to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. He finally calls out 
and saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the valley of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves, listen to the, the descent and the misery of the storm. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall look up upon your holy temple. And the waters closed in over me to take my my life, the deep surrounded me, weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains, and I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me up, my life from the pit. O oh Lord my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. Remember what we said this is a summer of? It's a summer to remember. That's what the prophets are doing. Remember the Lord. As you resist the Lord and you're pursuing some other path and the storms start to come over your life and the weeds of despair start to wrap around your head, stop and remember the Lord. He says, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Verse eight, those who pay regard, those who chase after vanities, vain idols, an easier way, an easier life. Those who chase after those vain idols, you know what they're doing? They are forsaking the hope of steadfast love. That's what you have in God, steadfast love to resist and say, I'm going another way. You're walking away from that steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. Listen to the worship that Jonah is proclaiming. Oh, I praise God. I will sacrifice to you. I will keep my vows to you. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah is celebrating God's compassion towards him, God's grace towards him, God's forgiveness of him, God's salvation and rescue of him, ripping the weeds off of his head, getting him out of the drowning water, saving him through the mouth of a fish. Oh, praise God for your compassion and grace is what Jonah's doing. But let me pause for a minute. Let's talk about this fish. Some of you are like, I can't even think about a word he's saying because I'm just wanting to know about this fish. So every now and then you have to pause and do an aside and let's talk about the fish. Is the fish real? The first question you have to ask to answer that is, does the Bible present the fish as real? That's the only question that matters. If the Bible presents it as real, end of discussion, it's real. Now, is it written as poetry? No. Is it written as allegory? How do you know? Just like you know any other book. Look at the way it's presented in the book. Look at verse 1. What does this book say? Jonah 1.1. 1, 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amity. This is historical narrative. It's, the whale's not written in poetry. It's not parable. It's not allegory. It's written in a historical narrative. This man who came from that man who lived in this town was called to go to that town, but instead he went to that town. And then he met these people and then they threw him in and he was sinking and then a fish came and it ate him and it spit him out. This is written as if it really happened. And if you're not convinced, 
Let's think about what Jesus said in the Bible about this event. Matthew chapter 12, verse 39 through 41. Some Pharisees and teachers of the law come to Jesus demanding that he show them a sign or a miracle. And Jesus says this in verse 39. A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, he said he was a huge fish. So the son of man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So Jesus compares the very real event of Jonah to make a point about the very real event of his three days in the grave and his resurrection. In other words, if you're hung up about a big fish swallowing a man, you're really going to be hung up about God taking on flesh, dying on the cross for your sins, being buried into the grave three days, resurrecting from the grave, ascending to the right hand of the Father, promising to come back and create a new heavens and a new earth to judge his enemies and to raise all of his followers up from the grave and give them new bodies to live forever for his glory. Are you worried about the fish? Well, if you're worried about the fish, why aren't you worried about the storm that it says that God sent just in time? Why aren't you worried about the casting of the lots that it says it's Jonah? Really? I mean, if you want to look for stuff not to believe, if you want to say that I can't believe in miracles, we don't need to worry about the fish. We need to talk about Jesus and the resurrection because that's the miracle of all miracles. And if you say, well, maybe Jesus was just talking about the fable that the the legend of Jonah teaches the lesson about Jesus' resurrection. Well, he didn't stop there. Let's keep reading in Matthew chapter 12, verse 41. Jesus goes on to say, The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the very real preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here, Jesus Christ. So he's talking about this whole scene. The men of Jonah who repented at the preaching of Jonah after he was swallowed up by a well and his time in the belly of the well is like the time of my body in the grave. Three days So I want to deal with the fish. Let's get that aside and don't miss the point. The point of the well, of the whale. Not well, whale. The point of the whale is this. God rescues rebellious sinners through Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for my sin because I am Jonah. He died on the cross for your sins because you are Jonah. We all rebel against God. We all run the opposite direction. We all deserve death. But God took on flesh to take the death that we deserve. God is gracious. God is loving. God is pursuing you to save you from the depths of the sea, from death and despair. And he did it through 
The God-man who died on the cross, was buried three days, and rose again victoriously over death and sin and the despair that it brings. But for where we're going in Jonah, notice something very important. Jonah's attitude has changed drastically. He is glorying in God's compassion towards him. He is worshiping God. Oh, thank you, God, for saving me, for rescuing me. Keep that in mind. Jonah's descent in his rebellion against God, Jonah's rescue, which leads him to praise God, and now Jonah's obedience, and I would say it's kind of this lukewarm, half-hearted, okay, I'll go. Verse 10 of chapter 2, and the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. If there's no greater picture of his condition, he's sitting in the vomit of a whale. That's where resisting and rebelling against God leads. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, let's try this again as you sit wallowing in the vomit of a whale. Let's try this again. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Same command. This is exactly the same command the first time. Go to Nineveh. Nope. Down, down, down. God Saves him. He's laying in the whale vomit. God says, let's try this again. He says, all right, let's go. I'm good, let's go. So Jonah, verse three, arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, goes into the heart of the city, And he calls out, this is his sermon. Yet 40 days and then I shall be overthrown. That's his sermon. Yet 40 days and then it's going to be overthrown. That's called a Saturday night special. When the preacher ain't got nothing else to say, heart's not in the ministry, and Saturday night, right before he goes to bed, he downloads a one-sentence sermon from somebody else. And he stands up and says, heartless, doesn't really care about the people. He's just doing what God told him to do. Forty days, you're going to be overthrown. And look what happens. Verse 5, the people of Nineveh believed God. And they called out for a fast and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king and he arose from his throne. This king who was ripping lips off of people and ripping limbs off of people and skinning them alive and piling up skulls as high as he can. The word of the Lord reached him through a reluctant man of God whose heart wasn't even in the sermon, and he preaches this pathetic one-sentence sermon. And God reached this man and this city, and the king arose, he removed his robe, he covered himself with sackcloth, and he sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation, and he published it throughout Nineveh. 
By the decree of the king of his nobles and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out to mighty, call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? Just maybe God will turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Again, we see the pagans calling out, throwing themselves on the compassion and mercy of God. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, Remember what he said last week? God opens his books and he looks at everything we've done and he says, this is what you're going to be punished for. Every evil thing you did will be done to you unless it's done to Jesus for you. And if it's done to Jesus, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life and God relents. And the disaster that you deserve does not happen because it's poured out on Jesus. Wow, what an amazing scene. Is the point about Jonah's great sermon, should we all sit down and study how to preach? It ain't gonna happen. I ain't preaching a one-sentence sermon. Dream on, people. I got lots to say. It's not about the sermon. It's about God using a weak, feeble, resistant man to just speak the message and let God do what God's going to do. You're Jonah. I'm Jonah. And God wants to use you mightily. And it's not about you. It's not about your words. It's not about how great you're going to craft your message. It's about making yourself available to the Lord. Over 120,000 people got saved that day. And look at what's going on throughout the book. What an incredibly gracious God. Think about it. All throughout these verses we see as Jonah is rebelling, God is saving. In chapter 1, God saves the pagan False God worshipers. In chapter 2, God rescues Jonah from the pit of despair. And in chapter 3, he rescues 120,000 incredibly wicked and evil Iraqis. God is the gracious, compassionate hero of this story. It's a good reminder after last week, which talks about God's retribution on his enemies. This week, we get the next prophet reminds us, but God first calls us, take the gospel to them that they might repent. So we've seen Jonah's descent in his rebellion, Jonah's rescue in God's grace, Jonah's reluctant obedience, and God does great things. And now we see, let's stop and think about Jonah's heart problem. 
Jonah's problem in verses 1 through 11. I am, this is really embarrassing moment for Jonah. I mean, this is not Jonah's finest moment. I am so thankful that, that my most embarrassing spiritual moments are not recorded in the Bible for all to study for ages. But they just repented. 120,000 incredibly wicked people just turned to God in repentance and faith and worship him. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. He was angry. Uh, what? Why was he angry? Because they got saved, they experienced the compassion and grace of God. He was angry and he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was in my country? This is why I fled to Tarshish. I knew that you were gracious. I knew you were going to be merciful. I knew you're slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And I don't like it. Unless it's for me. He feels justified in saying this. I knew you were going to do this. Therefore now, oh Lord, please take my life from me. I mean, he's throwing a full out temper tantrum. Take my life from me. I mean, that's the way you're going to be. It's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? <laughs> yes. So Jonah goes off and pouts in verse 5. Jonah went out of the city, he sat east of the city, and he made a little lean-to booth for himself, a little shelter, and he just sat under it until he could see what's going to become of the city. Let's watch God's grace change this city. And so what does the Lord do? God appoints a plant. I just love these last verses. It's comical. So God grows this little plant out of nowhere. You know, Jonah's just sitting there going, hmm? This little plant grows and casts a beautiful shade over Jonah. So God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. Ouch. Go to Nineveh. So he wants to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. I mean, if you can read this and not feel conviction, then I'm happy for you. When I read it, I just go, ouch. He was exceedingly glad because of the plant when in Fort One, he was exceedingly displeased in their repentance. You see the pattern here? Jonah is exceedingly glad when he is comforted by the compassion and the grace of God. But you call him to go and share that with Nineveh, he don't like it. It makes him uncomfortable. He has to leave his comforts. In verse 7, we see a little deeper root problem. When he, but when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm to attack that plant so that the plant would wither. So now he's sitting up underneath the shade tree. Oh, this is so comfortable. Oh, God, you're awesome. 
And then a worm starts to eat it and the tree withers. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down on his bald head. I got to believe he's got no hat. And he's bald and he's thinking, why didn't I wear my hat? Scorching east wind, the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. And he said, it is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And God says, here's the point. And the Lord said, you pity or you have compassion on the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make grow which came into being in a night and it perished in a night. Should I not have compassion for Nineveh? That great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons and all you care about is your comfort and your shade? Are you kidding me? The shade which I gave you, the grace which I worked for, the plant which I grew, that you had nothing to do with, but my grace and my compassion has been lavished upon you, and it's that very grace and comfort that I give you that you say, I don't want them to have comfort because it makes me uncomfortable. Should I be worried about your comfort when there are 120,000 persons who don't know their right hand from their left hand? They don't know the gospel. Should I be worried about your little shade tree? That's the point. The whale is one little verse. Don't let that distract you from the point. Don't let the comfort and the grace that God has lavished upon you keep you from spreading that grace and comfort with others. Father God, I pray that you will drive that point home in our hearts. You have called us to spread the grace and love and forgiveness and compassion of Jesus Christ. And yet, every day it's a struggle for me to keep embracing your call because some of it makes me uncomfortable. It's hard work. There's a price to pay. But Lord, like we see in Jonah, help us all to realize we didn't cultivate that plant. We didn't grow that plant. We're just enjoying the plant's shade, the grace of God through Jesus Christ. We're not entitled to it. And may we not resist your calling to spread the gospel. For we can only enjoy God as we submit our hearts to all that he tells us. So may we as a church embrace the call to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ from neighbors 
to nations. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.